Hi, everyone. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and this is 1001 Radio Days. Tonight, two episodes from This Is Your FBI, featuring real FBI cases. This show aired on ABC Radio from 1945 to 1953. These two episodes are dedicated to Spotify listener Susan Rudy Park, who left a Spotify message to tell us, I love This Is Your FBI series at 1001 Radio Days. Thank you, Susan. And this one's for you. This is your FBI. This is your FBI, an official broadcast from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Presented as a public service by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. To your FBI, you look for national security. And to the Equitable Society for financial security. These two great institutions are dedicated to the protection of you, your home, and your country. Tonight, the story of a crime against the community. Bank robbery. A man walks into a bank, holds up a teller, and walks out a few minutes later with thousands of dollars. How was he finally caught? How was he traced? What is the clue to his identity? The answer seems easy. A teller could describe him, that's true. But until 1934, there were about 600 bank robberies every year, most of them successful. Last year, there were 37, most of them unsuccessful. What brought about the change? The explanation that in 1934, Congress gave the FBI jurisdiction over certain banks is not enough. The main clue to work on is still the same, the robber's description. The real explanation lies in the FBI itself, in its organization, in its coverage, in its methods of following up a description, of tracing bank robbers, of hunting down, for example, the two men who began plotting a bank robbery in a small rooming house in a Midwestern city a few months ago. Uh, uh, hi, Artie. Oh, hi, Phil. What time is it? Two o'clock? Was I sleeping that long? Yep. Who are you riding with? Nora. Oh. Probably ride hit Cincinnati around the 20th. Uh-huh. That'll be the blow-off for us then, kid. Really gonna marry her, huh? Yep. Then what? Then I lay off for a couple of years. That's for squares. So I want it. Where are you gonna take her? Got a spot all picked out, kid. Up in Minnesota. Nothing to do all day but fish and hunt. Yeah, yeah. Cigarettes. On the table. She know about you and larceny? Nope. And she ain't gonna. What's in this box? Look out for that. Huh? Handle it real easy. It's loaded with dynamite. Real dynamite? Yep. I've been working on it all morning. What for? It's Betsy. What? She's gonna go with us on the bank job tomorrow. I don't get it. You figuring on blowing the joint up? Nope. She just makes the job easy. Look, Gardy. Let me give you the setup. We take Betsy into the bank with us. Uh-huh. I hand one of the tellers a note. Yeah. The note says if he don't hand over all his cash, 
Betsy will go off in his kisses. And you go with it. No, no. He ain't that brave. He hands over the cash. Look, what's the matter with using a gun? That's for kids. This makes it a nice, quiet, clean operation. Now, wait a minute. I ain't gonna... Bill, that's how we're gonna do it, see? Cars window is free now. Uh-huh. We can still do it the other way. No, no, just stand by, kid. This will be a cinch. Help you, mister? No, thanks. Okay. <coughs> Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. Are you making a withdrawal? Yeah. Well, may I have your passbook, please? I don't think you'll need it. I beg your pardon? Just read this note. What? Read it. If this is some sort of a joke... It's no joke, mister. Don't try any funny stuff. I, I wasn't going to. Betsy here wouldn't like it. She could go off real easy. Well? How How much do you want? Everything you've got. Singles, too? Everything. Use that money bag, then. Yes, sir. Hurry up. That... That thing won't go off by itself, will it? It might. Just keep on moving. Yes, sir. Uh, Don't forget them 20s. I was just putting them in. There, that's all the currency. Do you want the silver, too? No, just give me the bag. Yes, sir. Remember what the note said about not giving any alarm. I know. You better let me have that note. Oh, of course. Here. Thanks. So long, Tim. What is the next step in the holdup of a bank? What do the criminals do next? In this case, they stopped a taxi, drove to the downtown section of the city, and rushed into a busy, crowded department store. That took 15 minutes. Long enough for the bank to notify the local police and the FBI. Long enough for the teller to give a description of the robber. Long enough for both robbers to have disappeared before the FBI and the police could throw a cordon around the department store. Fifteen minutes and the trail was cold except for a description of the man. But for the agents of the FBI, that was a beginning. That was a lead. That was a clue which would lead to other clues sooner or later. Is he, Jim? No. Come in, Ray. Thanks. Any further developments? No. No trace of either one of them. Well, they probably went in one door of that department store, not another. Yes. Did you get a description of that second man? Not a very good one. The teller gave us a detailed picture of the first one, though. The one with the dynamite? Yes. Was it given to the police? Yes. They're sending out a general alarm. Good. Fowler speaking? Oh, yes, Sergeant. Yes. Yes, go ahead. Want to take this down, Ray? Sure. Black Chevrolet sedan. Four-door. Two-door. Got it. 1940 model. Illinois license plate Y-235. Y-235. Stolen from employee's parking lot. Where? Behind the federal building. Thanks, Sergeant. We'll put that on the teletype right away. That might be the getaway car, Ray. The federal building is in the same block as that department store. 
Yes. Well, it sounds like we've got work to do. Now there are two descriptions. A description of a man and a description of a car. Now there is more to work on. Now the trail picks up again. But what of the bank robbers? If they have planned this crime well, they know that the stolen car will be reported, will be watched for, will lead to their capture. What do they do? They keep off the main highways, keep clear of the state roads, keep driving swiftly along lonely, unused back roads. Artie. Yeah? Do me a favor, huh? What? Get rid of that box, will you? Betsy? Yeah. What for? Well, you've done what you wanted with it. I know. I just feel better having her around. What's the matter? I don't know. Oh, great. Take it easy. No dice, huh? No gas. Look at the needle. Empty. Ah, now don't get excited, Phil. This is no problem. One car goes dead on you, so you pick up another one. Where? Along with that one up ahead there. It's coming around the bend. Hey. Come on. Hop out quick. What do we do? Flag him down. I mean, how do we grab the car? Just tell him we want it, that's all. Look, you're not going to use that Betsy routine. Why not? It takes too long. I got a better idea. Well, put that gun away, will you? Give him a wave. I'll go get Betsy. All right, flag him down, will you? Okay. What's the matter? Our car ain't running. Oh. Looks like we got to borrow yours. Huh? Pile out, mister. Oh, no. I told you to wait till I got Betsy. We got the car, didn't we? When the FBI works on a case, it does not work alone. It has the cooperation of the local police in the city and the surrounding counties and the whole state, if necessary. It was a local policeman who found the wounded man and telephoned in his report. Immediately, the special agents checked the engine number of the abandoned car, checked on the man who was shot, found that he had a car, and broadcast a description of it. It wasn't long before that broadcast got results. Waller speaking. Hello, Jim. Ray? Yes, Traced our men across the line into Missouri. Are you sure? Positive. They held up a farm family in Monticello. Took some food from them and stole their car. How about the car belonging to the man who was shot? They abandoned that. The sheriff who reported it checked the motor number. I see. How badly was that man wounded? I think he'll pull through. I hope so. Ray. Yes? What's the dope on this latest car they took? 1938 Ford. We've got all details on it. An alarm has been sent out. Good. Another small lead. Hmm? This farm family heard the two men quarreling. They talked of splitting up. In that case, one of them would leave the car. Yes. Well, let's send their descriptions to every bus depot, airfield, and railway terminal in, let's see, Missouri, Iowa, and Illinois. That ought to cover it. stops a criminal makes in his flight, the more perfect is the description he leaves behind him. When the bank robbers held up the Missouri farmer, they indirectly presented the FBI with a portrait of themselves. 
Now the special agents knew what both men looked like. And that knowledge was broadcast throughout the whole region. That's why when a short, dark man of 35 with several moles on the right side of his face boarded an eastbound bus at Fairchild, Iowa, the local police who received the report from the station notified the FBI. The agents immediately checked the schedules, found where the bus would stop next, found when it would stop, and found that they could get there ahead of time. This is a five-minute stop. Five minutes only. They're starting to get off, Jim. Yeah. The bus is pretty crowded. We want to do this as quietly as possible. I know. Jim. I see him. Come on. Just a minute, sir. We'd like to talk to you, please. What for? Just step over here. What is this? We're special agents of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Ah, you might be able to help us. Well, I will if I can. We're looking for two men who held up a bank on Saturday. Later that day, the same two men shot a farmer over in Eastern County. They stole his car. So? The farmer they shot is still in the hospital. Would you mind letting him look you over? Don't bother. He'd know me. Never mind the frisk. I'm clean. How about money? From the job? Yes. I got my cut. What's your name? Bardo, Phil Bardo. Where's your partner? I don't know. We split up the other side of Fairchild. What was his name? Told me it was Artie Clinton. Where was he headed? He was going to see a dame in Cincinnati. Where in Cincinnati? I don't know. What about that dynamite gadget? You mean Betsy? Betsy? That's what he called it. Oh. He kept that with him, which was okay with me. Well, Jim, at least we can tell Washington headquarters that one of them is in custody. Yes. But Arthur Clinton and Betsy are still at large. That means this case is still pure dynamite. We momentarily close the Federal Bureau of Investigation file on Arthur Clinton, bank robber. We'll return to this case in just a moment. Tonight, we'd like to introduce two widely separated members of the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States to each other and to you. Mr. Litton, we'd like you to know Helen McGrath. And Helen, we want you to meet Mr. Henry C. Litton, president of the Hub, Henry C. Litton and Company of Chicago, Illinois. Having attained the remarkable age of 98 years, Mr. Litton ranks as a senior member of the Equitable Society. Helen is one of our youngest and newest members. Yesterday, she was four months old. Mr. Litton, when you became an equitable member in the year 1861, the society was facing its first great crisis, the financial difficulties brought on by the Civil War. Since then, the Equitable Society has continued to grow and expand through three more wars and seven major depressions. And so, Mr. Litton... After your 73 years' experience with the Equitable Society, we think you could tell little Helen McGrath that her father showed excellent judgment in making her a member of this society. You can assure her also that as long as she lives, the funds of her society will be put to work in many different ways that will benefit her and her family. Equitable dollars are invested in a farm that helped feed her and in industries which provide jobs for her father 
and millions of other fathers. By serving its members, old and new, the Equitable Society serves America. Now back to the file on Arthur Clinton, bank robber. Almost every criminal has a great sense of loyalty and equality. His loyalty is to himself, and his belief in equality is a belief that if he's caught, his partner should be caught. Philip Bartow told the special agents of the FBI everything he could about his partner. Told them his name was Arthur Clinton, told them he was going to Cincinnati, and told them that he was going there to marry a girl. That was a clue, but Cincinnati is hardly a small town. And like every town these days, the majority of its population is women. Still, it was a clue. A clue to be followed while other agents investigated Arthur Clinton. A clue that later on turned out to be accurate. For Arthur Clinton was in Cincinnati. Had married a girl there and was living with her in a quiet hotel. Come here, honey. Honey. Oh. Hello, baby. Hello, darling. Mm. How are you coming with your packing? Oh, I'm afraid I haven't made much progress. I brought the car on, honey. It's downstairs. Oh, I'll hurry then. Aunt Mary phoned. Yeah? Mm-hmm. She kept me talking for almost half an hour. What she want? Oh, you know. Why was I going away? Why didn't we have a church wedding? <laughs> What'd you tell her? I said we were married by a justice of the peace because that was the way we wanted it. Had a girl. Hmm. Can I get those dresses out for you? Oh, thanks. She wanted to know all about you. Yeah? You tell her? Well, just about ten minutes worth. I said you were wonderful, that I was very happy. Suppose she wanted to know where we were going on our honeymoon? Of course. I just said we didn't know. We were going to get in the car and travel. Get some dresses, honey. Oh, put them on the bed, will you, dear? Okay. You can close that bag there. Sure. No, Aunt Mary really is very sweet, but she still thinks that I'm about 12 years old. <laughs> She doesn't want us to go away at all. Why not? Oh, on account of my painting, mostly. She thinks I should stay here in Cincinnati and study. Did you tell her you were going to take your paints along with you? Mm, yes. I said I'd get more work done that way than ever. There. Now then, anything else I can do? No. No, I think I'm just about ready, dear. Okay, honey. Oh, well, would you put these shoes in your bag? Yeah, sure. No, I didn't realize how much... Oh, look out, honey. Huh? Don't touch that little box. Uh, just put the shoes on the other side, huh? Oh, all right. What's in it? The box? Yes. Nothing, really. It's just kind of a good luck thing I carry around. Oh. Well, I'm all packed. The description of a criminal can sometimes lead to his capture. But the chances are better if that description can be checked against something else. The FBI had something else, the fingerprints that Arthur Clinton had left on the abandoned cars. The prints checked were those of a man who had been arrested four years back in Jackson, Mississippi. The name was different, but the description was the same. The trail was easier to follow now. It was smoother, and it led straight to Cincinnati, to a marriage bureau, to the family of the girl Clinton had married. 
But after that, once again, the trail stopped dead. Let's see what we have here now, Ray. Well, there's the description of Clinton. Yes. Description of the girl. Yes. Also some data on the second-hand car he bought in Cincinnati. This girl knows nothing about Clinton's background. Not a thing. Her hmm. family was quite shocked when they heard about him. Too bad. He had told them that he had his own business out west. That a relative had died and left him money. That's how they could afford this long honeymoon. Has the family had any word from them? One postcard. Mail from Chicago. I have it here. Hmm. No indication where they were going. No. They appear to be heading west, though. This car must have Ohio license plates. They went out on the teletype. But Clinton's probably changed them by now. Yes. One possible lead is the girl's interest in painting. Oh? She studied art for a number of years. In fact, she sold one or two watercolors to some local dealers. I see. Her family said she brought her equipment, you know, paints, canvases, along with her. That could be a very good lead, Ray. Um, by the way, did you see this? I wanted no notice on Clinton. Yes. Mr. Hoover ordered that for national distribution. In cities, in towns, in villages, wanted notices for Arthur Clinton appeared. And local police were on the lookout. But the FBI did not stop there. At the same time, special agents went to every art material store in the region and left photographs. Two photographs, one of Clinton and one of his wife. Then there was nothing to do but wait. Wait for what had to happen sooner or later. Wait for what finally happened in Duluth, Minnesota. Can I help you, ma'am? Oh, hello. Hello. I, um, I wanted to look at some brushes, please. Sure. There's a whole trayful right here. Oh, thank you. That's a new shipment. Uh, just came in. Yes, I see. I can't say that they're too good. Do you sell paintings? Well, that's not my regular line, you know. Well, uh, I have some watercolors here. I did them mm -hmm. myself. I don't know. Them. Well, surely. Let's see now. There's just, uh, just the two of them. Landscapes. Mm-hmm. My husband and I have a camp up in the lake country, and these are local sketches. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, not bad. Well, I've sold several canvases back home in Cincinnati. Cincinnati? Mm hmm Would you be interested in them? I... I don't care about the money. It, it's, well... It's just the selling of them. That's very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you leave them here and I could handle them for you on a commission basis? Oh, that would be wonderful. Uh, where do you live? Well, we're buried up in the woods right now... I'll just drop in here from time to time, see if you've had any luck with them. Mm-hmm. And I'll take these three brushes. That'll be three dollars. Very well. Here you are. Thanks. May I wrap them up? No, no, thank you. I'll just put them in my bag. I should be in again by the first of the month. Mm-hmm. Hope I sell them for you. Oh, thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hmm. Cincinnati. Hey, Miss... Miss! Oh. Operator. Operator. Get me FBI headquarters. And you positively identify this photograph, Mr. Weymouth. Yes, that's the girl, all right. 
Oh, what a fool I was. Her signature is on both these landscapes, Jim. I let her walk right out of here. Did she say she'd return? Yes, she said she'd drop in. I don't think we can wait for that. Uh, gentlemen, I, I wish that there was some way... Mr. That... Weymouth. Yes? These landscapes. Where did she say she'd painted them? Why, uh, right up near their camp. Are you familiar with the country around here? Of course. I know every inch of it. That's, that's what makes me so mad. If, if she told me where that camp was... I, I think she has. Huh? If these scenes are near her camp... You should be able to recognize them, right? Say, I never thought of that. Do they look familiar to you, Mr. Weymouth? Uh, let me look at them again. Surely. Here. Say, I believe I do know this spot. Yes? She's changed it around some, but... But that's Hibbins Lake. Where's that? It's about 40 miles north of here. Could you take us there? Be glad to. When? Right now. Well, this is the day, honey. Hmm? This is the day I nail that pike. <laughs> Say, he's really got you going. Oh, look, he? baby. If you spend as much time as I have watching that guy flirt all around the hook. But, darling, aren't there other pikes? Sure, sure there are. But this one is Big Casino. Well, I wish you luck. You want to come out in the boat with me? No. Huh? Mm-mm. I want to finish that watercolor of the hills. How's it coming? Oh, I've changed it about four times. <laughs> You'll be running out of paint. Practically. I'll leave the car here, sweetheart. We can walk down to the lake. All right. I'll get your stuff out of the back. Thanks. Oh, what a lovely day. All right, Clinton. Huh? <laughs> Just keep your hands where we can see them. Arthur. Don't be alarmed, miss. Who are you? Special agents of the FBI. FBI? Nora, hand me that box. Of course. Wait. Would that be Betsy? Yeah. Never mind, honey. trail of a bank robber begins with a description, continues on with a stolen car, leaps across state lines, and ends finally with capture and arrest. Along that trail are clues, good and bad, big and small, right and wrong. The agents of the FBI follow them all. That thoroughness is a great factor in its success. But there is another, a vitally important factor that must never be forgotten. It's in every region, every area, every section of this country local policemen, sheriff, and deputy in the entire nation. That cooperation is invaluable, and it extends beyond to the cooperation of every loyal citizen of this country. That is a formidable opposition. That's a defense to stand up against any criminal. That's a protection which could only be found in a country where the people not only make the law, but are the law. hear about the file on next week's case in just a moment. Will you join the Equitable Society in a salute? A salute to the man on the tractor and to all men who plow the good American earth. Yes, a heartfelt salute to the farmers of these United States. In spite of manpower losses, our hardworking farmers have managed to increase this country's food production by more than one-third. Authorities in England and Russia 
say that the war might easily have been lost without this extra food raised by America. Today, as it has for many years, the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States is lending the farmer a helping hand. Equitable funds make it possible for thousands of farmers to own their own homes and lands and realize that typical American ambition summed up in the words, I want to run my own business. In addition to helping to raise the food that fights for freedom, equitable funds are heavily invested in other industries which make and transport the weapons of war. Still, other equitable dollars are invested in war bonds. For in wartime, equitable society dollars are fighting dollars. And at all times, they are security dollars. For you, your home, and your country. Next week, a crime against the nation. Espionage. The incidents used in tonight's broadcast are taken from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. However, all names used are fictitious. Any similarity thereof to the names of persons living or dead is accidental. Artie Clinton was played by Mandel Kramer. The music was composed and directed by Van Cleave. Your narrator was Frank Lovejoy. This is your FBI is a Jerry Devine production. Now this is Carl Frank speaking for the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and inviting you to tune in again next week at this same time for this is your FBI. Network of the American Broadcasting Company. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is your FBI. This is your FBI, an official broadcast from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, presented as a public service by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. To your FBI, you look for national security, and to the Equitable Society for financial security. These two great institutions are dedicated to the protection of you, 
your home, and your country. Tonight, the story of a crime against our nation. Espionage. Nineteen thirty-nine. That year, the continent of Europe already echoed the cries of people under aggression. On the continent of Asia, far beyond our western shores, was Japan. A dedicated nation, a dedicated people, dedicated to war upon the United States. But we did not know this yet. Within our western gates were more Japs, thousands of them. Were they dedicated to being good American citizens? Or were there among them some dedicated to our destruction. Here was a vital task for the FBI. The safety and security of America might depend on what they found out. A Sunday afternoon in 1939, two FBI agents from the San Francisco office stood on a pier at the San Francisco waterfront watching a Japanese cruiser warp into the dock. How big would you figure that crowd, Jim? Oh, I'd say... Uh... Oh, at least a thousand. Pretty excited for Japs, aren't they? Well, this is a big day for them, Larry. Doesn't often they get a chance to pay their respects to a big shot from Japan. I know. Larry, is this Prince Suji a member of the royal family? Yes. They sure are giving him the Sunday bows, all right. Funny how they conform to that caste system of theirs. That first line that shook hands with the prince were all top bracket boys. I know, I've checked them off. Japanese Consul General... Head of the Jap Association, leaders of the prefectural groups. Second line is a middle bracket bunch, bankers, nip businessmen. All they got from the good prince was a nod. Well, that's more than the small fry are getting now. There's housewives and farmers. They bow, and the prince doesn't even acknowledge their presence. Hey. Hmm? Look at that bull-necked little man in the chauffeur's uniform. What about him? You notice something? He's not cringing or bowing. He's standing in line with his head up and shoulders back like a soldier. Oh, yes. Hey, did you see that? Yes. The prince bowed to him. I know. I don't like that, Jim. They don't play it that way in their league. Princes don't go around bowing to chauffeurs. Unless our chauffeur is a big shot back in Japan. Yes. That's something you and I better check on. One Jap bowing to another Jap. A pair of striped pants and cutaway coat bowing to a chauffeur's uniform. The two FBI agents, troubled by what they saw, investigated and learned the chauffeur's name and background. Then they took their information to the agent in charge of the San Francisco office of the FBI. That's the story, Mr. Walker. A prince bowing to a chauffeur. That is unusual. Yes. Did you follow this man? Yes, sir. He lives at the Osaka Hotel. His name? Yasu Kajioka. Did you learn anything about his work? Yes, he drives a big Cadillac. He owns it. He runs some sort of escort service with headquarters at the hotel. Anything else on him? We found out that he's been a very active worker for many of the local Japanese associations. Well, I think we should do a thorough check on Mr. Kajioka's activities. Won't be too easy. We could use some help. From whom? Someone of his own race. Japanese who was loyal to us. 
Well, they might try the university. They have quite a few Japanese-American students there. That's a good idea. Suppose I arrange with the dean of studies out there for you to have a talk with him. Fine. I'll get him on the phone right now. The two FBI agents spent almost an entire day with the dean of studies of the university. They pored over the personal records of many Japanese-American students and finally narrowed down their choice to one man, a student by the name of Tom Tanaka. His record showed he lived in the same neighborhood as the Jap chauffeur. Gentlemen, have you reached a decision? Yes, sir. This man, Tom Tanaka, looks good to us. Well, I think you've made an excellent choice. He lives in the same neighborhood as the man we want watched. If he measures up in other ways, that's a definite plus. I understand. You realize, sir, how important it is to us that we be able to trust this boy implicitly? Yes, I do. We've got to know if he's loyal. If he's a real American at heart. If he thinks and acts like an American. There are thousands of men and women who live here on the West Coast, Mr. Schuyler, who look Japanese and are the sons and daughters of Japanese. But I know them as true Americans. They're as loyal as any of us whose ancestors were German, English, French, Irish, or whatever. I say that this boy is an American just as you or I. Good. Can we meet him at once? Tom, I imagine your dean has told you that we're special agents of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Yes, sir. He has. We've selected you, son, from the list of the entire enrollment of Japanese Americans here at the university. As a student? No. No, as an American. Well, what about it? I am an American. We believe you are, in every sense of the word. Has somebody been talking about me? No. Then what's this all about, sir? Tom, we want you to help us. How? In a very important, perhaps very dangerous way. You you want me to work with the FBI? Yes. Do you know a man called Kajioka? Yasu Kajioka? Oh, yes. We're neighbors. I helped him compose letters in English. Several times. Good. What, well, do you remember you? I think so. He said once that he might give me a job doing secretarial work in my spare time. Why do you ask me about Kajioka? We need a loyal Japanese-American like yourself to help us investigate this man. We want to know if he is connected with any un-American activity. Hmm. What do you want me to do? Help us to get information. Tom, all we want are facts. I see. You said that you, you know Kajioka. That he offered you a job once. We want you to go to him. Take the job. We're giving you the opportunity to do this as an American, Tom. Well... What would I say to Kajoka? How would I ask for the job? You'd tell him that you're in need of money to finish your studies. If he hired you, you'd undertake at once to impress him with your love of Japan and the Japanese. We don't want you to put your life in danger. You'd be cautious, never inquisitive. What do you say, son? I'll do it. No. What do you want, young man? I want to talk to you, Mr. Kajoka. Uh, what about, please? A job. Why? To earn some money. 
Why do you come to me, lowly chauffeur, if you need money? You told me someday you might give me a job. Oh, yes. Why you want to earn money? To keep up my studies. You got father, mother. I don't want to ask them. So, but you ask lowly chauffeur, why? Everyone says good things of Kajoka. Oh, oh, good. You hear perhaps I visit cruiser. They say Kajoka was greatly honored. Oh, so, they say correctly. Uh, please, you sit down. Thank you. Oh. Now, how you think? What do you mean? It could be important for me to know. I think Japanese. Oh, so. And what are those thoughts, please? I love my people. I love Japan. So, I think maybe you lie. Why should I? Who can read my thoughts? Oh, very, very good. Yes. Will you give me a job? Yes. You work for me now. Come every day. I'll try to read your thoughts. <laughs> very good. Very good. Yes. Once the all-important inside contact had been made, many FBI agents took up the trail. They learned that Kajioka always drove Japs who were easily identified as high-ranking naval officers on vacation. They learned that he was the head of a secret Jap organization on the West Coast, the Hamushikai, boasting over 10,000 members, all eligible for military service in Japan. The society masked itself as a charitable one, Charity in the sense that thousands and thousands of dollars were drafted from the members and sent back to Japan. Why? The answer came quickly and dramatically. One night on a street corner, young Tom Tanaka reported to the special agents of the FBI. Tom. Tom. Yes, sir. Here we are. I haven't much time, sir. I've got to get back. What have you got, sir? Something big is cooking. There's a great meeting called in the basement of the Japanese high school for tonight. Kajoka will make an appeal to get more funds to send back to Japan. I see. Also, they are to show preparedness movies sent over from Japan. Are you supposed to attend this meeting? Yes. Kajoka will expect it. Tom. Yes, sir. We need a list of the members in that organization. Practically everything depends on our getting it. Do you think you could go to the meeting, get the list... Get away alive? Yes. The pictures may go on about 8 o'clock. I'll try and sneak out and meet you here then. Good boy. Good luck. We'll be waiting. We momentarily close the Federal Bureau of Investigation file on Kajioka. Enemy alien. We will reopen this file in just a moment. Yesterday, Thomas I. Parkinson, president of the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States, received an interesting letter. It was from a member of the Equitable Society, and it read, Mr. Parkinson, just how many businesses is the Equitable Society in anyway? Our radio program talks about millions of equitable dollars invested in war bonds and more millions in key war industries like shipyards and railroads, in oil, steel, and aluminum. Friends tell me how the Equitable Society helps keep kids in school and helps people own their own homes and farms. 
It all sounds mighty complex to me. Yes, investing the premium dollars of 3,200,000 members of the Equitable Society is of necessity a very complicated operation. For safety's sake, those equitable funds have to be spread out widely, must go into thousands of different enterprises. And yet all this is done to make it easy and simple for Equitable Society members to attain greater security for themselves and their loved ones. And so you see... By employing its funds in all kinds of activities that are useful to the nation as a whole, the Equitable Society is able to offer sounder and safer protection to its members than any one member could achieve by his own unaided efforts. By serving its members, the Equitable Society serves America. And now, back to the file on Kajioka, Enemy Alien. Nineteen thirty-nine. In that year, there wasn't even a slight buzzing in our ears to warn us that enemy planes were warming up for an attack. There was nothing in the word protocol to make us think of anything but where the wife of some ambassador might have to sit at some state dinner. Yet two men of the FBI standing on a dock at San Francisco had seen in a bit of Jap protocol enough to make their blood run cold, enough to make them on their own initiative as Americans set up a series of patient, exhaustive, dangerous investigations which inched down 1939 through 1940 and brought them on the evening of February 3, 1941 to stand tense in a darkened hallway near a high school in the Jap section of San Francisco. Watch it, Jan. Don't let that streetlight hit you. I've counted about 2,000 have gone into that meeting so far. Still coming. That's the Still must have passed the word along. What time is it? Almost 7.45. Looks like the meeting is getting started. Somebody coming along to see the channel. Pull back here. Tom. Tom. Here. Oh, hello. We've got a wonderful break. Kajoka forgot to bring the records. He wants me to go to his house and get them and bring them to the meeting. What part of the meeting is on now? They're going to run off the movie. How long will that take? Until about 9.15. Good. I'll go with you, get the records, bring them to the FBI office. We'll have them photographed and back in your hands by 9 o'clock. Can you do it that soon? We've got to. Jim. Yes? You stay here. Call the office, tell them what we have to do. Ask for the entire staff to stand by. Right. I'll drive Tom over. It's going to be tight going. I know. But this is the first break we've gotten, and it may be the only one. Let's go. While the movies whip the Japanese audience up with blatant pictures of Japan's armed might, while distinguished visitors sat rigidly straight in the front rows, their cropped heads marking them high officers of the Emperor's Army and Navy, while almost 3,000 sons of Nippon shared a new sense of oneness, of dedication to Emperor and country, an alerted FBI office, brilliant with lights, crowded with 100% staff, worked feverishly to photograph the secret documents and make the deadline. I don't think we can wait any longer, Mr. Logan. It's 8.54. I know. I've got to be back to the hall before the lights are turned up. We'll make it. One minute to deadline. How are you coming? Two more sheets. The others are finished. Come on, then. Hurry it up. Please, you've got to give me the originals. I can't wait. 
The movie ends at 9.15. Let's start correlating pages in the original. You know how they go, Tom? Yes, sir. I'll grab them as fast as I finish. Number two is finished. Come on, snap up on number three machine. Please, hurry. Hold an elevator. Right. Here you are. This is the final. Thanks. We'll put them together in the car. It's 8.55. Let's go. We'll just make it. Mr. Kajoka. Where have you been? It took you a long time to get papers. I stood in the back of the hall to see the pictures. I thrilled with the people. Oh, uh, give me the records. Here you are, sir. Good. I have news. We have received orders to change names of all branch chapters of our organization, and we must at once seem to stop our activity. Why? Why? Because soon, glorious Japan will win honor or downfall, and we are ordered to prepare for duty as soldiers behind the guns. The FBI had everything it needed now on Brother Kajioka. His position is head of the secret society. His activity is a chauffeur deluxe for visiting Japanese officers. His role as collector extraordinary of funds for the Japanese war machine. His devious role as espionage agent. Everything the FBI needed except the right to go out and arrest him. Under our way of government, we do not go about arresting citizens of friendly nations. The FBI could watch and wait. And to add insult to injury while it fretted over its watching and waiting, one of the FBI agents had reason to phone into the agent in charge of the San Francisco Bureau. Yes? Mr. Logan. Yes, Larry. Jim and I have been following Kajioka. Yes? We followed him from the Osaka Hotel. He drove straight to Sutter Street. Yeah? Parked his car, proceeded on foot to 111 Sutter Street. Why... Well, that's our building here. I know. Well, where did Kajioka go? He's in your foyer, waiting to see you. He's what? Oh, thanks, Larry. Bye. Yes? Uh, Mr. Kajioka to see you, sir. Send Mr. Kajioka right in. Mr. Walker? Yes. What can I do for you? I am Kajioka. Sit down, Kajioka. Now, uh, what do you want to see me about? I come to FBI because I am honorable man. I see. I wish to offer my services to the United States. Why? I hate Japanese. Oh? Tell me about it. I was born in Japan. One time in Japan, they arrested my father. He was a good man, harmed nobody. They say he was disloyal, but they have no proof. And it is a lie. What happened to him? I never see him again. They murder my father. And so you hate Japanese? Yes, very much. I would be good agent for FBI. What makes you think so? Japanese government tried to get me to work against the United States. You know how it is. You have information on certain secret Japanese organizations here. No? A little... Oh, that is too bad. With me, you get to know much. I know all Japanese tricks. I make valuable agents. Perhaps you would, Mr. Kajoka. You think about it. And remember, I want to work for United States. Great country. I work for FBI and kill many Japs. 
Well, we're not interested in killing Japs nor anyone else. Sometimes it will be necessary. Then you tell Kajioka what to do, where to go, and he goes. Well, thank you very much for your offer, Mr. Kajioka. We'll take it under consideration and we'll let you know in due time. Thank you. So much. Not at all. It will be a pleasure. Mr. Kajioka might have smelled a rat. That is, if a rat can smell himself. But his surprising offer was politely refused. And his intensified wanderings by day and night were as equally matched by the more intensified watching by the many electricians and workmen, laundrymen, truck drivers, cabmen, innocent motorists, who sent in their reports under the names of special agents of the FBI. Still, all they could do was watch. Watch and follow the little man who was dedicated, like his country, to the destruction of America. Then came December 7th, 1941. On that fateful day, the entire staff of the FBI was gathered in tense silence in each of the Bureau's offices. In San Francisco, even the local law enforcement officers were present, waiting. Waiting. Everyone here? Everyone, sir. Larry, you and Jim can stand by and watch the teletype. Right, sir. The names are coming in from Washington. Names and addresses of enemy aliens to be picked up when the word comes through. We'll take them. I know a name you two will want to watch for. Yes, sir. Thank you. Getting into the caves now? Yes. Hello? Yes, sir. Right. That's the word. Get going. K is in Kajioka. K is in Kajioka. Come on, teletype. There it is. Capital K for Kajioka, the little rat. We got him now. Come on. Otto, now you see who I am. Major Kajioka. Yes. How do I look in my uniform top? Very well, sir. No more lowly chauffeur. Glorious Japan has struck. American fleet. No more. Pearl Harbor. No more. All gone. Soon planes come. Then transport. Yes. I have two revolvers. See? Oiled and loaded. I give you one. Soon our soldiers march in the streets. And you and I will go out and kill every dirty American we see. Yes? Yes. Yes. You watch at the window. Tell me when you see planes. Tell me when you see glorious soldiers of our brave army. I will pour drink for ceremonial toll. Yes, sir. I'll keep watch. Ah, soon I will be colonel. Then general. Wait until you see how they will reward me for what I've done. I will be big man. Yes, of course. I hear planes. Do you see them yet? Not yet. Listen. Our soldiers are coming. I drink to glorious Japan. They are here. Come in. Banzai! Come on, Kajioka. Huh? Uncle Sam wants to see you about a place called Pearl Harbor. Kajioka was rounded up with thousands of his kind. 
rounded up with the aid of a loyal Japanese-American. Like the rest, Kajioka wondered how the FBI had known of his work. Does he remember that little incident back in 1939 when a pair of striped pants and a cutaway coat bowed to a chauffeur's uniform on the hard deck of a Japanese cruiser? Probably not. He wouldn't understand the things that make Americans tick. The American willingness of those who serve our country in the ranks of the FBI. No, Kajioka probably will never understand until it's too late. And how will he ever know that it was too late that day back in 1939? hear about the disposition of this case in just a minute. On the beaches of Normandy, our boys were seeing the latest movies 24 hours after landing. And not long ago on a Pacific island, two Japanese snipers were captured when they tried to join a G.I. audience to see an American film. Yes, movies follow the flag because Uncle Sam knows that they're first-rate morale builders for battle-weary men. So will you join the Equitable Society in a salute to the motion picture industry? A salute to the daring cameramen who risk their lives in every American attack. To the technical men who developed special equipment to photograph Tokyo from 45,000 feet in the air. To the actors, musicians, and directors who made tens of thousands of valuable training films for our armed forces. And to the 16,000 theater managers who have sold millions of war bonds in every drive. Members of the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States will be proud to learn that their premium dollars have helped finance this great industry, which has proved such a vital asset to the nation at war. For years, the Equitable Society has invested in the motion picture industry, as well as in other essential American industries and American agriculture. Yes, in wartime... Equitable society dollars are fighting dollars. And at all times, they are security dollars for you, your home, and your country. As an enemy alien, Yasu Kajioka was placed in an internment camp to remain there for the duration of the war with Japan. The incidents used in tonight's broadcast are taken from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. However, all names used are fictitious, and any similarity thereof to the names of persons living or dead is accidental. Programs in this series of particular interest to servicemen and women are broadcast overseas through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Tonight, Kajioka was played by Ted Osborne. The music was under the direction of Van Cleave. The author was Frank Wilson. And your narrator was Frank Lovejoy. This is your FBI is a Jerry Devine production. Now this is Carl Frank speaking for the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and inviting you to tune in again next week at this same time for This 
is your FBI. <laughs> 